When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 187 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aratora Sports Podcast. It has been an unbelievable couple weeks of shows. If you've missed it, the last couple weeks have been phenomenal. I had Bob Stoops two weeks ago. I had Kirk Herbstreet last week. I also did a College Hoops mailbag for those of you who are interested in hearing some thoughts on the upcoming season. I talked about the Pac-12. I talked about Memphis. I talked about Penny Hardaway's guarantee of winning a national championship. Uh, and a little more College Hoops today. Eric Musselman, longtime friend of the show. He was at Nevada. He's now at Arkansas. He joins me later on in the show. This is one of the best interviews I've ever done on the show, I think. And guys, I, I know a lot of you, probably most of you, are not Arkansas fans. But the thing I love talking to Muss about, and I've said this on this show before, is that this is a guy that has coached at every level. He's been around basketball since the day he was born. His dad's a former college coach. Um, he's coached with Hubie Brown. He's coached with um, in the NBA. He's coached in the CBA. And his stories are incredible, and his insight is incredible. And I'm just telling you right now, we don't talk Arkansas basketball. So if you think that, oh, I hate Arkansas or I don't care, I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm a Kentucky fan, I don't care about Arkansas, no, you're still going to enjoy the interview. We really, ha I, I ask him like one question about Arkansas. Mostly I talk to him about his past, about um, the way that his dad kind of, I don't know if, I don't want to say he created kind of halftime entertainment and pregame entertainment, but a lot of the things that his dad does that he now does on campus, these pictures that have popped up here over the last couple months for people who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, when recruits come on campus, Muss is now recreating famous, iconic pictures with the recruits. So uh, maybe the most famous one, if you remember, Allen Iverson uh, shooting the three and then walking over Ty Lu. Uh, Muss recreated that a few weeks ago with a recruit. Uh, he was Ty Lu. He was on the ground. The recruits stepping all over him. Uh, the famous Dwayne Wade, LeBron James dunk, where Dwayne Wade throws the alley-oop behind his head. LeBron comes in and slams it. And Dwayne Wade has his arms out like a helicopter. So uh, Muss has done a bunch of those. So we talk about that. But it's a really, really, really fun interview. I do think you guys will enjoy it. And I will say this. I did get one question in the College Hoops mailbag pertaining to Arkansas. So what I'll try to do is I'll try to answer that at the end. Uh, and then I will do a separate College Hoops mailbag later this week. So no mailbag today. Mailbag on Thursday. But a lot of good stuff to get to. What I, what I think I'm going to do today is this. Prior to Musk, here's what I'm going to talk about. 
First, I'm going to recap the college football weekend. I don't think it's going to be super lengthy. And guys, I, you know, I'm in the middle ground here of I want to provide good content. I want to talk college football. But I also, when there's nothing to talk about, there's nothing to talk about. And I don't want to spend 25 minutes talking about the Auburn-Florida game that, let's be honest, it was kind of boring. And neither team played particularly well. So what I think I'm going to do, I kind of have one big picture takeaway from the weekend, how it's been a relatively calm college football season, how there really haven't been those upsets that make college football great, but how that's actually a good thing for college football. Then I'm going to get very quickly into some other things I saw, a couple quick thoughts on Michigan, a couple quick thoughts on that Florida-Auburn game, maybe a touch of Tennessee, a touch of Ohio State, and then I'm going to transition to college basketball because you guys all saw this story by now, Bill Self. Uh, Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg was on Kansas's campus on Friday for their Midnight Madness event. They call it Late Night at the Fog. Um, and Snoop Dogg did what Snoop Dogg does. Uh, you know, there were some uh, female entertainers. I believe that the word that Kansas used was acrobatic dancers. Uh, yeah, the only thing that was acrobatic was the way they were moving up and down the pole. And so it made a lot of headlines. There was also money guns. And, and it was clear to me that this was kind of an indirect shot at the NCAA. So I'm going to get into why, while it is kind of funny, like it's actually not funny at all, and there's reasons why. I'm not just an old um, uh, jerk, guy on the lawn, whatever. Like there are actual reasons why the behavior isn't cool and why I think that, um, you know, I, I think that Bill Self crossed the line. I think Kansas crossed the line. I think Snoop Dogg did what Snoop Dogg does. I don't think I blame Snoop Dogg one bit, but it was uh, it was something, and I want to talk about that, so we'll wrap on that. I have one Arkansas question, then we'll get to Eric Musselman, but it's going to be a great show. It's going to be an amazing show, and as always, before we get started, I want to remind everybody, thank you and please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. For those of you who are already subscribed, thank you. Thank you for sticking through the fall and the summer, and we're going to get towards hoops, and I know a lot of you guys love hoops, and so we're going to get there in a minute. So thank you for subscribing, and if you're not subscribed, please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on podcast. Uh, podca- uh, not podcast. Well, you can do it on podcast. You can download the podcast on podcast. That made no sense. It's okay. It's super late at night. I'm pissing off my neighbors because I'm yelling and screaming because I'm fired up to talk about Bill Self. Let's start over. Please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes slash Apple Podcast. That's obviously where the majority of you listen to this show. If you have an Android, you can do it on two, on Pod the Podcast Addict app. Man, my, my brain's getting old, man. I'm getting old. I'm getting too old for this stuff. Um, let's start again for the third time. All right, three, two, one. You can subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast on Apple Podcast. Now I'm in my own head. I'm like a pitcher. I, I got a, a little glitch here in my head. I got the yips. Uh, Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Podcast Addict, if you have an Android. I'm doing good so far. TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, Spotify. Basically, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can go ahead and do it. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. I got two very, very nice ratings over the weekend. Uh, I've told you about Grafton J, who listens to us in the hour before his lunch break. Here are two more. Sarah Thomas wrote in. Even as a girl, he says, entertaining and spot on. Even as a girl, I love this podcast. Just started listening a few weeks ago, but haven't missed a show since. Keeps a smile on my face throughout my miserable commute in Atlanta traffic. You rock, AT. 
Sarah Thomas, you rock. And first of all, I want to thank you for listening. I hope I get you through, and I'm glad I get you through um, your, your commute. I will tell you, as somebody who used to commute through L.A. traffic and sit for hours, it's always good to have a show to listen to. So, Sarah, thank you for the support. I'm glad I'm entertaining, and I'm glad my analysis is spot on. I love the fact that you're listening in Atlanta, which is such a hub for so much of what I talk about, SEC sports primarily. I talk all college sports, but let's be honest. The SEC. I know Bill, Bill Walton says that the Pac-12 is the Conference of Champions. The SEC is really the Conference of Champions. That's why I end up talking so much Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas and Auburn and Alabama. So, Sarah, I truly appreciate it. I, I hope you're enjoying. Keep listening. We're going to do some football. We're going to do some basketball. The other one who tuned in, Jay Strunk. 1983. So I don't know if 1983 means that he was born in 83. If it does, happy birthday to you whenever you were born. I don't know. But Jay Strunk says, Torres is a lifesaver. Aaron Torres is saving lives each and every day. Listen, now you're just making me blush. I mean, come on, let's be honest. You know, my grandma wanted me to go to medical school, yet here I am saving lives doing this podcast. So thank you, Jay Strunk. He says he's saving lives each and every day with his delicious podcast. I never heard the show called Delicious before, so I appreciate it. Many of you are like me and you have early morning commutes. Sarah is, of course, in Atlanta. Don't know where Jay Strunk is, but he says he has an early morning commute. Listening to AT keeps me alert and awake as we tackle hot button issues twice a week in sports. This podcast is a public service. Thanks, man. No, thank you, Jay Strat. Strack. What is it? Jay, Strat, Jay Strunk. So first of all, uh, I know I bring the noise. I know I bring the energy. I can only imagine what it'd be like to listen to this show at 6 or 7 in the morning when it's dark out and you haven't had your coffee and your coffee hasn't kicked in and Torres is yelling and screaming about something. So I appreciate Sarah Thomas. I appreciate Jay Strunk. I appreciate all you guys for tuning in, for subscribing, rate, and review the show. In addition, if you have questions you want answered on the show, I don't care what it's about. It could be about college hoops. It could be about college football. It could be about life. It could be about my run-ins with acrobatic dancers in my lifetime. I'll talk about it all. Do it. Go ahead. Send it in. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Again, college hoops mailbag later in the week, but there is one Arkansas question I'll get to since Musselman is on. Also, finally, if you're not following Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, but also the Aaron Torres sports podcast Instagram page, uh, that is where I post my college football picks. And if you haven't been paying attention, another winning week for the college football picks. Now, there was fewer picks this week, and I mostly stayed away, but five picks. I went three for five, 60%, and I'm hitting right around 60% this year, so feeling good about the picks. The ones that hit were all under, so they call me under Torres for a reason. It's been hitting so far. So thank you to Jay Strunk. Thank you to Sarah. Make sure to rate and review the show. Also, questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions, and the Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. All right, so let's get into the actual topic since I spent, <laughs> I already spent 10 minutes gassing myself up talking about how amazing that I am. All right, so the topic of the day to me is this, is that college football, it's been a little bit of a slow start to the season in the sense that we haven't had those crazy games, those big upsets that we love about college football, right? You watch college football because on any given Saturday, anything can happen Anybody can beat anybody else. And that hasn't really happened this year. And so it's funny. I've told you guys this story before, but the guy I do radio with every Saturday night, Arnie Spanier, he's kind of an old guy, get off my lawn type. And every Saturday we go, oh, Torres, you tell me college football is such a great sport. Nothing crazy has happened. When are the great games going to happen? When are the big matchups going to happen? And he was mad this week because Bama had a bye and LSU was playing Utah State and 
whatever. And what I would say is this. I can't argue that it has been a slow start to the college football season. Not only can I not argue that it's been a slow start to the college football season, what I'd also say is we're now entering week seven, coming out of week six, and there was really no storyline coming out of week six. I mean, again, part of it is, look, Bama had a bye, Clemson had a bye, Ohio State dominated, Georgia was close for a second, but by the middle of the third quarter, they had a comfortable lead, they pulled away late. So none of the great elite teams were kind of uh, in danger. Michigan didn't look good. We'll get to Michigan in a minute. Florida, even though it wasn't pretty, that game was never really in doubt. And so the question becomes, like, what were the storylines coming out of the weekend? And there really weren't any. And there really haven't been any crazy big headlines outside of Michigan getting smoked by Wisconsin throughout the season. And everyone's saying, it's bad, college football, it's in, where's all the entertaining games? I actually think it's the exact opposite. I actually think we're sitting here now, we are entering week seven, and it's funny because all summer long, the whole narrative was Bama and Clemson, Bama and Clemson, Clemson and Bama. They're the only two teams that matter. Nobody's even close. Nobody's in the same stratosphere. Two and Trevor. We're going to end up, it's inevitable, those two teams are going to play for the national championship. And that could still happen. I don't think it will. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Pete Thamel from uh, Yahoo was at the Ohio State game. He was talking to NFL scouts. NFL scouts said, like, dude, the talent that Ohio State has is so much better than Clemson. Like, they would crush Clemson if they played right now. So I don't think we're going to get Clemson and Bama. But what I think has happened is that I think there's, like, I don't know, 10, 12 teams that have really separated themselves from everybody else in college football. And so we don't have those two teams. We don't even have the three, four dominant teams. At least it doesn't appear as such right now with in the Big 12, you got Texas and Oklahoma looking good in the Big 10. You got Ohio State, you got Wisconsin, you got Penn State, you even got Michigan hanging out on the perimeter, even if they're probably not really in that mix. In the SEC, we know LSU, Bama, Florida, Georgia, Pac-12, I still think Oregon is in play here, although obviously with Auburn losing, that doesn't help Oregon. But I bring that up because everyone's, oh, college football, it's such a disaster. It's in such a bad place. None of these games, there's no big games. What I would say is it's actually the opposite. It's actually worked out really well for college football because what I think has happened is this. The teams that are supposed to win have taken care of business. I've looked up the stats. It's kind of insane. So first of all, the top six teams in the preseason rankings are still the top six teams right now. So the top six has not changed in seven weeks, which is insane. Those, those six teams are a combined, I looked it up, I think it was 31-0. and 0. Uh, Five of them are 5-0, and 0, and then the sixth one, which is Ohio State, has played all six weeks, so they're 6-0, and 0, so 31-0 and 0 between the, the top six teams. And overall, the teams that started in the top 10 this preseason are now 49-3, and three. and of those, of those uh, three losses, two of them, came against each other. So two of them came to teams that are also in the top 10, which was obviously LSU losing to or Texas losing to LSU at home, Notre Dame losing to Georgia on the road. The only game that uh, the only loss from a preseason top 10 team to a team that is currently in the top uh, currently outside of the top 10 was Michigan and Michigan lost to Wisconsin who's now in the top 10. So I, I should say that over. So 49 and 3 overall the the 10 teams that started in the preseason top 10 49 and 3 overall right now. Two of those losses, LSU beating Texas, 
Notre Dame losing to Georgia, losing to Georgia, those were two fellow top 10 teams. So the only team that started in the top 10 that lost to a team outside of the top 10 was Michigan losing to Wisconsin. As I just said, Wisconsin's looking really good. But what I think has happened, why I think it's good, is that it's setting up a huge second half of the college football season. And everyone's saying, oh, there's no good games and everything's a blowout and where's all the great games? And I'll tell you this, know where all the great games are? Second half of the season. All of a sudden, you look up, and it's like, we're going to have mega, 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 mega huge games going in to the second half of the season. And so when I look at it, I mean, look at the schedule. Just this coming week, we got Texas, Oklahoma, which basically is probably going to decide the Big 12. Now, look, I know Baylor is playing well right now. I don't know that Baylor is on the level of Texas or Oklahoma. Could they get upset? Of course they could get upset. But this is the big game. In the, in the SEC, we got Florida, LSU. And so everybody's asking for ups. Oh, where are the big upsets? Well, if West Virginia hypothetically just played Texas this weekend, if West Virginia upsets Texas, then we got a lousy game going into the Red River shootout. I'd rather have Texas and Oklahoma be awesome. I'd rather have Florida and LSU be awesome. I don't want LSU to get upset by Utah State. It's kind of like, you know, getting your dessert before, uh, before the entree, right? Yeah, ice cream's great. But doesn't what what doesn't isn't what makes ice cream so great is waiting through the salad and through the the pasta dish to get to the ice cream at the end. You don't want the ice cream first. Then you gotta, there's no ice cream. It's over. And so to me, I haven't bought this narrative that the college football season is bad. Now it's short on storylines, but I think the storyline is how good those top eight, ten, twelve teams are. And so, like I said, the big matchups are starting to come. We're gonna get Florida, LSU here next week. We're going to get Oklahoma, Texas next week. We're going to get Wisconsin and Ohio State in two weeks, Penn State and Michigan in two weeks, Penn State and Ohio State down the road, LSU and Bama down the road, Georgia and Florida down the road. So don't tell me that it's been bad for college because, oh, the big matchups haven't, well, who cares? We're going to get them now. So everybody stop complaining. Everybody relax. Everybody pump the brakes. We're going to get great matchups. I should say, even the matchups that aren't quite as great are still pretty good, right? So like this weekend, Bama goes to A&M. That's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a fun game. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing if Kyle Field is, I don't want to say bumping. It's going to be bumping. But is it going to be an X factor that makes Bama look bad? Um, Notre Dame hosts USC. That's a huge game. If Notre Dame wins that game, they're in great shape to continue a push towards a playoff berth. Like, I think that's an interesting story in and of itself. We've kind of just said, okay, these are the only six teams, Ohio State, LSU, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, and Oklahoma. What if Oklahoma loses this weekend? That opens up a whole new can of worms. What if Georgia wins out and wins the SEC? And Notre Dame's only loss is to Georgia in Athens. That's a heck of a kind of a trump card for, for Notre Dame. The Big Ten is interesting, so be patient. The good games are coming. A lot of them are ahead, and I think we're setting up for a great second half of the college football season because, again, I think that we're in a situation where there's like 9, 10, 11 teams that think they're in this thing and are going to be able to prove it over these next couple weeks. So you just look at the national landscape in college football. In the SEC, if you're a Georgia fan, a Florida fan, an Alabama fan, an LSU fan, you're feeling great right now. In theory, Auburn could come back. I don't think they're going to because their schedule is a monster. But Auburn's got the great win out of conference against Oregon. They got the great win at Texas A&M. 
And the schedule is still in front of them. I mean, if they run the table, they're if they run the table and they win the SEC West and they win the SEC, they're going to the college football playoff. In the Big Ten, Wisconsin's still feeling good. Even Iowa's feeling pretty good. By the way, Iowa-Penn State this weekend, that's a major game. If Penn State wants to be taken as a real player with Ohio State, with Michigan, if you want to include Michigan, with Wisconsin, they got to win that game. Oklahoma, Texas, like I said, eventually the winner of that game is going to play Baylor, who's undefeated right now. Pac-12, Utah, Oregon, still in the mix. So to me, let's pump the brakes, let's relax, let's take a deep breath. Let's do that. You like that? Deep breath? That was probably a little bit much in your ears as you guys listen in your commutes and at the gym and all that stuff. But I say it to say everyone's worked up because we haven't had great games. The great games are coming. I actually think it sets up for a better second half of the college football season and I'll be fascinated to see what happens from here. All right, a couple quick notes from the weekend. The first one, I just spent all this time talking about, oh, this team's a contender, and that team's a contender, and don't forget about Wisconsin, and what if Texas wins, and Notre Dame could still be in the mix. You know one team that I don't think is still in the mix, even though they're technically still in the mix? That's Michigan. So Michigan, I've spent a ton of time talking about them on this show, and I swear, this isn't intended to just be like the anti, you know, the Jim Harbaugh, the rip Jim Harbaugh variety hour, right? Like, like, like that's not what I'm about. I'm not a, I'm not a tear a guy down just for the sake of tearing him down. But as I've said many times, let's never forget, Jim Harbaugh was not brought to Michigan, and he's been very good, by the way. Three seasons of 10 wins in four years. There are like literally probably 110 programs in college football that would kill for that kind of success. UCLA with Chip Kelly would kill for that success. Nebraska, which hasn't finished in the top 10 nationally since 2000, would kill for that success. Tennessee, literally, I'm sure there are Tennessee fans listening right now that would literally kill, would literally take out a chainsaw and start swinging at their neighbors if they knew a 10-win season was coming. Trust me, I'm telling you. that I know the psyche of Tennessee fans right now, they would. Same with Mississippi State. Auburn has had success. They haven't had the sustained success. I'm sure they would love to go 10-3, three out of the last four years. I'm sure that whoever, I'm I'm running out of teams, but USC fans would love it. Um, Arizona, Arizona State. So I, I bring all this up to say, this isn't like the Rip Jim Harbaugh variety hour because he has been good at Michigan. The problem is, as I've said many times, and I'm not gonna rehash it over and over and over again, He hasn't been great, and that's where the issue lies. This guy was brought to elevate the program, which he did, but to eventually beat the Ohio States and the Notre Dames and the Georgias and the Floridas and the Bamas and the Clemsons. At the very least, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten, get into the playoff. If you beat Ohio State and you can't beat Clemson or or Alabama, there's no shame in that, right? There's a lot of teams that aren't having that level of success, but you got to compete with Ohio State. you got to compete with at the very least the teams in your conference. And so I bring all this back to say, because I've talked about it a lot on the show, the Jim Harbaugh thing, it's just like, it's not working. And we saw it again on Saturday night, Saturday afternoon. And when I say not working, I don't mean that it's not literally working. Again, 10 wins last year, 10 wins in 2016, 10 wins in, 20, or 10 wins in 2015, 10 wins in 2016. But... The problem is that now, even when Michigan wins, it is becoming apparent that like this just isn't built to be at the level that it needs to be at in year five. And I say this oftentimes in college football. There aren't many programs in college football history that, that when a coach gets there, 
that they're, you know, they have success early, go way down, and then in year five, they just shoot right back up. Or in year six, they just shoot right back up. Like when Nick Saban got to Bama, Nick Saban had it figured out in year two. Urban Meyer went undefeated in his first year at Ohio State. Pete Carroll, I believe, by his second year at USC had won the Pac-12. By year three, was winning a national championship. And so I bring this up because with Harbaugh, they get the win this weekend. But even a Michigan fan doesn't feel very good about it. Even a Michigan fan sitting here saying like, man, we beat Iowa. Iowa's ranked in the top 15. I should feel good, but we won 10-3. to And all the problems that we've had continued, and they're not getting better. And this is the problem if you're a Michigan fan. And again, not ripping Jim Harbaugh. We're not going to spend a ton of time on Michigan. But if you're a Michigan fan, you're sitting there saying like, okay, cool, we beat Iowa. But at the same time, we're, we're Michigan. And we're supposed to beat Iowa, especially when we're at home. And the concern is the issues that Michigan has had don't seem to be getting better, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. And I've been over this time and time and time again, but Michigan for years under Harbaugh, they were the old school Big Ten smash mouth between the tackles. We're going to just three yards in a cloud of dust. We're going to pound you to death. And that works against Rutgers. And that works against Iowa. And that works against... Illinois and Purdue and Maryland and even Michigan State doesn't work against Ohio State. And guess what? If it doesn't work against Ohio State, it's not going to work against Clemson, Bama, Oklahoma, LSU, Georgia, Florida, etc. And so where the issue comes in, Michigan on Saturday, they played Iowa, but the same issues continue to rise. If for people who haven't seen the game or didn't see the game, final score was 10 to 3, okay? First of all, Michigan's first drive or first scoring drive, Iowa fumbled on their own 21-yard line. So Michigan had great field position, had to settle for a field goal. They had one good drive after that. They get up 10 to nothing after the the first two drives of the game, the first three drives of the game, and they don't score after that. And it's the same issue. This high-powered offense, they they went they tried to go from this this power uh, you know, this power, like I said, between the tackles, three yards in a cloud of dust to this high-flying, fast-paced, pass the ball all around the field, and it's just not working. You look at the stats, they averaged like five yards per completion. You can't do that. Like Jalen Hurts is averaging like 13 yards per completion. Two is like averaging 11 yards per completion. You can't average five yards per completion if you're in this high-powered offense. And they aren't moving the ball, and they're still relying on the defense. I will say credit to Michigan. The defense actually looked pretty good yesterday. Defense made plays. But Iowa also shot itself in the foot. Nate Stanley, their quarterback, who hadn't thrown an interception the entire year, threw three. They had a bunch of penalties, including a bunch at the worst possible time as they were driving late to try and tie the game. And so I think this Michigan thing, I think we're right back where we started. They're not getting closer. They're only getting further. And the problem is... We are now in week seven. We're going into week seven of the college football season. I was talking to this with my radio partner, Arnie Spanier, is like, you can't use the, well, this offense is new and we're still figuring it out. Like, dude, it's week seven. You've played half your schedule. Or at the very least, they played five out of seven games. You had a bye week. You can't be this bad this late in the season. And so I don't know what the answer for Michigan is. I don't know if it gets better. And I'll tell you, I'd be a little worried if I was a Michigan fan because the schedule from here gets brutal. I spent a ton of time talking about who's a contender, who's a pretender right off the top of the show. But look at that schedule. 
They play at Illinois this week, which hopefully, I would hope, is a win. But after that, they play at Penn State, then they play Notre Dame, then they play at Maryland, then they play Michigan State, and they close. They have a game against Indiana at home, which I would hope they would take care of, and then they close against Ohio State. So let's even just take Ohio State off the table right now, because Ohio State's playing at another level. We'll get to them in a minute. But like, you look at the rest of the schedule... I don't think they're beating Penn State right now. Penn State's playing out of their minds. I don't think they're beating Notre Dame right now. Notre Dame's playing fantastic defense, and Michigan can't move the ball on anybody. Michigan could have moved the ball against Army, and now they're going to move the ball on Notre Dame? Stop. Look at that schedule. Three top 10 teams right now. Michigan still has to play. Five teams out of their seven games have been ranked at one point this season. So I think it's only going to get worse. I think it's fascinating. And to me, I think that is the biggest storyline coming out of Saturday was Michigan. We keep waiting. Is the light going to flick? The answer is no. The answer is Michigan is who they are. We're now in week seven. They have played five games. They had a bye. And that offense isn't getting any better. And so the biggest thing to me that came out of this weekend was Michigan kind of, even though they won, it was the rare double dip where They win the game, and you still come out feeling worse about them. So I think this is going to be a fascinating story to follow over the next couple weeks. They play at Illinois this week. You'd really hope that they can take care of Illinois. I'm not even sold they're going to take care of Illinois. Illinois is only 2-3, 0-2 in the Big Big Ten, but they score points. They put up 38 a few weeks ago against Nebraska. Put up 31 in a loss to Eastern Michigan a couple weeks ago. Put up 42 to open the season against Akron. So I'm telling you, I I worry about Michigan, and I think that was the game where even in winning, they were actually losers because they don't look much better. All right, a couple more notes from across college football. We'll wrap. Where do I start? How about with the Florida Gators? Because Florida, listen, and I'll be really quick on this. Florida, look, I think it's a great story. I think it's uh, Dan Mullen. Let's never forget Dan Mullen was the very public third choice for Florida when they hired him. They went after Chip Kelly, didn't get him. They went after Scott Frost, didn't get him. And they, quote unquote, ended up with Dan Mullen. And then here we are, two and a half, or one and a half years later, the guy is 15 and three as a head coach uh, since he got to Florida. They're 5 and 0 right now, going into the LSU game. And you look at that game, they're actually 6 and 0, excuse me. So he's 16 and three, and they're 6 and 0 this season. And you look, at this, you look at this game this weekend, and we'll talk about this game coming up, but I will say Florida to me feels a little bit like Michigan in the sense that yes, they won, but I didn't come away feeling super impressed by them, right? Like they have the backup quarterback, Kyle Trask. They turn the ball over a bunch. And let's be honest, Auburn was a complete disaster. And I'll say this, and it's easy to say in hindsight, and I blame myself for not picking up on this sooner, The Auburn hype got a little bit out of control, though, right? Like, I even remember, and I've said this a bunch of times, but, like, you go back to the first week of the season, that game against Oregon, Auburn got dominated for two and a half quarters. They finally got their legs around the middle of the third quarter. And then it came down to the final 10 seconds when Gus Malzahn elects to throw the ball deep to win the game rather than line up to kick a field goal to win the game. And I said it at the time. Like, I came away less impressed with Auburn in that game Because the bottom line was, like, if that pass falls incomplete, Auburn probably loses that game. Because the time might run out if Bo Nix takes a sack. I've been over this a million times, so I'm not going to get into it. But, like, the point is, like, 
one pass completely changed our perspective on Auburn. And I know they won at A&M, but A&M's not playing very well right now. I know they beat Mississippi State. Mississippi State's not playing very well right now. But I look at it like, I think we were overhyping Auburn a little bit here. A lot of bit. And by the way, Auburn's schedule, if you haven't seen it, is brutal. They still have to play at LSU, and they get Georgia and Bama to close the season. So I think uh, it's over for Auburn, and I'm not sold on Florida either. I just thought it was a solid effort. Defense was phenomenal. The offense did enough, but I was not sold on them going forward. A couple other teams I want to talk about, then I'm going to get to Bill Self. Uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Rocky Top. You'll always be home sweet home to me. Um, Real quick on them. I actually thought for the first time in, and I'm not kidding when I say this, years, I thought there was actually some positive things to take out of a Tennessee game. If you watch the game, you know that Tennessee basically, they finally, after all this time, went to their backup quarterback. His name's Brian Maurer Maurer from uh, Florida. And if you've watched Tennessee over the years, the kid they had, Jarrett Guartanamo, Jarrett Guartano, um, isn't very good. And I'm not here to tear apart a college kid and he's doing his best or whatever. But if you watch Tennessee, they're a mess offensively. Uh, they played Florida a few weeks ago. And I mean, guys are running the wrong routes and, and he's throwing it uh, where he thinks the receiver is and it's getting picked off and returned. And it was like, dude, he's not the answer. So I will give this kid, Brian Maurer credit because he stepped in. He looked good. He had two really nice touchdown passes. Now he got knocked out pretty late or he got dinged up pretty late. He didn't get knocked out, but he had to leave the game for a series. And then he left the game at the end. Um, and I, it's still pretty unclear as to why they pulled him, but it seemed as though there was some kind of injury. But I will say Tennessee really quickly, I think there's some really positive signs going into the future. Doesn't mean they're going to win the next game. Doesn't mean they're going to win the game after that. Doesn't mean they're going to win the SEC. They play Bama in two weeks. They're going to get smoked. But I do think there are some positives for once with Tennessee, which is very different than we've seen of late. So that's Tennessee. Kind of staying with the... We're still kind of in the figuring out phase. I got to tell you this, guys, I think I, I think I was just wrong on Chip Kelly. I just think it's over for Chip Kelly. I don't think he cares. If you missed it late Saturday night, UCLA loses to Oregon State at the Rose Bowl. Um, and I, I had this conversation, one of the guys I work with at Fox Sports Radio, I, I won't say his name, I don't want to get him in trouble, but he does some stuff for UCLA and we we're kind of talking. It's like, this is my personal opinion, but it's like, you can't lose to Oregon State, you know? And so for, for people who really haven't followed the Chip Kelly stuff, I think most people remember he was at Oregon. He gets Oregon to a national championship game. They're playing this high-powered, high-tempo, fast-paced offense that nobody had seen, and they were literally a play or two away from winning a national championship at Oregon. He goes off to the NFL, and he comes back, and we think that it's going to be all figured out, and it's been a complete disaster. He went 3-9 and nine last year. Now, I will say they played pretty well down the stretch. I think they won three out of their final five. And this year, there was real momentum after that Washington State game. And instead, what happened was they lost a close game at Arizona last week. They return home, and they lose to Oregon State. And I said this to my buddy. I understand it's a rebuilding project. I understand he needs time. I understand that you don't turn things around overnight, no matter where you are. Maybe if you're Nick Saban, you do. But everybody else... It takes time, but you can't lose to Oregon State, right? And and we can use whatever historical analogy you want, um, whether you want to use um, a football coach, 
basketball coach. You know what I, I would equate it to? It's not quite this bad. I know we have a lot of ten, uh, Kentucky fans listening. When Billy Gillespie was the head coach at Kentucky, it's one thing if in year one, year two, you lose to Arkansas or Tennessee or other good SEC programs. It's one thing if you lose tough out-of-conference games to maybe some teams that you shouldn't lose to, but you lose to anyway. But when Billy Gillespie started losing to Gardner-Webb, when he started losing to UAB or whoever he was losing to, I know Gardner-Webb was the big one. Like, Kentucky can never lose to Gardner-Webb. They can never lose to Gardner-Webb. And it was at that moment that I think a lot of Kentucky fans were like, this, is, this ain't getting fixed. This is really, really, really bad. And even in year two, they obviously, he ended up getting fired. They ended up bringing in John Calipari. I wrote about it in a book. It's called One and Fun. You should get it for your family and friends in the holidays. But I bring it up because of the fact that sometimes you just can't take a loss to a certain team. And Chip Kelly took that loss on Saturday night to Oregon State. Oregon State is historically the worst team in the Pac-12. They're not good this year. They were 1-3 coming into the game. UCLA's at home. I know they had a backup quarterback, but you just can't lose to Oregon State. It's like if, if there was a new coach at LSU or there was a new coach at wherever and they lost to Vandy, right? Like maybe that was the sign that Derek Dooley or Butch Jones, it wasn't going to work out when you start losing to Vandy. When If Jim Harbaugh starts losing to Illinois, if Jim Harbaugh loses to Illinois this week and we know, okay, it ain't working out. And that's where Chip Kelly is. He can't lose to Oregon State. It was funny. I used this analogy uh, with my buddy Barrett Salee from uh, CBS Sports. Been on this show before, by the way. Good guy. He said, I think Chip Kelly's lost his fastball. I said, I think Chip Kelly lost his fastball, his curveball, and his slider. And basically, you know who he reminds me of? Remember Major League? Remember the movie Major League? Remember Major League 2 when, <laughs> when Rick Vaughn made all that money? And he comes back, and he's corporate. He's got the suit on, and he's got his hair slicked back. And he says, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't throw the fastball anymore. I throw the eliminator. And, uh, you know, he tells Jack Parkman, yeah, if you get a piece of it, I'll let you name it. And Jack Parkman crushes it over the fence, and I won't say what Jack Parkman called it. But I bring it up because, like, Chip Kelly is basically Rick Vaughn in Major League Two. He made his money, and now he's soft. And he's lost his fastball, his curveball, and his slider. I don't know if he's going to get it back. But what I am saying is, is that I understand that these things take time. I understand that... It's not going to happen overnight. It's not Oregon. He had been at Oregon as he, for a year as offensive coordinator before he got the head coaching job. The program was in much better place. But you can't lose the way that Chip Kelly is losing. Another really bad loss. And you look at UCLA's schedule, and I'm telling you, man, I mean, they went 3-9 and nine last year. They'll be lucky to get to, nine, to three wins this year because – they still have Utah on the schedule, USC on the schedule, who's playing really well, or not playing well, but it's at USC, Cal, which was ranked until this week, Colorado, Arizona State, Stanford. Like There are literally no guaranteed wins on that schedule. The guaranteed wins were Oregon State this week, San Diego State earlier in the year, and they didn't get them. And so I think it could be really bad. He's not going to get fired, but I'll tell you what, um, it could be really, really, really bad going into next year, and I will be fascinated to see. Last college football note, I want to do Bill Self here because it's I can't believe I've talked 37 minutes. with I literally came in and I was like, there's nothing to talk about. And here I am 37 minutes later, still going strong. Last thing with Ohio State, just shout out to Ohio State. Um, I was so impressed with them because they played a good Michigan State team. Yes, they were at home, but it was never competitive. I think it was 28 to 10 after the at halftime or whatever it was. What I was just so impressed by was Ohio State playing a legitimate top 10 defense nationally. And it was never close. 
and they never broke a sweat. I mean, they, it, it looked like they never had to hit fifth gear. They win going away 34 to 10. Like I said, it was 27 to 10, not 28 to 10. 27 to 10 at halftime, uh, or 27 to yeah, 27 to 10 at halftime. They put up a touchdown late. I was just so impressed by how good that they looked last night. All right, so that's it for college football. I really do hope that we get some good games this week, that there are some real talking points to discuss with Texas, Oklahoma, with Florida, LSU, with Notre Dame, and USC, maybe Bama, Texas A&M, whatever, because I just, it's just, there's just not much to react to right now. So I want to thank you for your patience, and I do want to talk a little college hoops because there was certainly something to react to on Saturday night, or Friday night, excuse me, and that was, you guys all saw it, um, Kansas had, and I talked a little bit about this on the last episode, but Kansas had their Midnight Madness event on Friday. They call it Late Night at the Fog, and as part of the entertainment, look, everybody brings in, t- in entertainment, right? Uh, Kentucky's had Drake, um, UConn I think in the past has had, or th- I think this year they're going to have T-Pain or somebody like that, and Kansas decided to have Snoop Dogg. And when Kansas decided to have Snoop Dogg, well, Snoop Dogg went all Snoop Dogg on Kansas basketball. Um, I think Kansas uh, uh, thought they were getting in for some nice, wholesome fun. And what does Snoop Dogg do? He brought out the stripper poles. And he brought out the girls dancing. And he brought out the money guns. And this thing took off on Twitter. I cannot believe how big of a story it became I will give credit to people in the media besides myself. I feel like I've been the only one that's been critical of Kansas, but I saw Seth Greenberg come out and kind of say, like, you can't do this. Jimmy Dykes come out and say, you can't do this. Fran Fraschilla come out and say, you can't do this. And so Snoop Dogg comes out, he does this thing. And for people, everybody's seen the video at this point. I will say in Kansas's defense, they did apologize. The AD did issue a statement like, Basically, like, yeah, we can't be <laughs> can't be having Snoop Dogg out here with stripper poles uh, at, perfor- at at our school. And he did say this. He said, I want to apologize for Snoop Dogg's performance last night at late night. We made it clear to the entertainers, managers, that we expected a clean version of the show and took additional steps to communicate to our fans, including moving the artist to the final act of the evening to ensure that the basketball activities, if anybody wanted to miss the basketball activities, you wouldn't miss the basketball activities if you wanted to stay for his show. I take full responsibility for not thoroughly vetting all the details of the performance, and I offer my personal apology to those who are offended. We strive to create a family atmosphere at Kansas. I missed the part. There's a part where he said, the AD said something about uh, acrobatic dancers. All right, make, let me make no mistake. If you haven't seen the videos, they're on my Twitter page, Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio. I, I quote tweeted him. Let's make no mistake. They were not acrobatic dancers. They were basically strippers that did not strip, okay? They were strippers. And let me kind of say this. is There's, there's two kind of things here. So one, the reason why this was a big deal was because one, you know, like Kansas had Snoop Dogg. And again, I don't blame Snoop Dogg because this is what Snoop Dogg does. He's been doing it for 30 years. Like Snoop Dogg's going to Snoop Dogg. But I blame Kansas because... They, act, they acted all upset, but then, this is the part that's crazy, right, is that if you kind of peel back the layers, and this is where a lot of people got upset, like a lot of people think, and I think they're accurate in saying this, is that like, this was kind of a direct shot at the NCAA, because if you've been following the story, and if you listen to this show, you obviously do follow the story, um, 
Kansas is in a little bit of trouble with the NCAA. Uh, it is for paying players. It is for, excuse me, it's for helping Adidas arrange payments to players. Um, and they're in big trouble. And they're in big trouble. And so when you have that, when you have allegations that you had Adidas pay players, and then you bring out strippers and you bring out money guns where they're literally shooting fake money into the air, there's no way to perceive that and as anything other than two middle fingers to the NCAA. And it was crazy because, as usual, everybody in the media thought it was, oh, so hysterical. Bill Self, Kansas, <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. Like, no, it's not funny, and I'll tell you why. And I don't want to be an old, get-off-my-lawn guy. Um, and I'll say this. I don't want to be a moralist either. And I said this on my Periscope on Saturday, and I'll say it here. I ain't blaming Snoop Dogg for bringing out strippers. I'm not even blaming Kansas for having them out on the court. I would be lying if I said that at certain times in my life, many times in my life, I did not partake in entertainment at an adult entertainment establishment. Like, I'm sorry, but it's true. I have. Guilty as charged. Lock me up and throw away the key. I have definitely been into some adult entertainment establishments. I am not here to, to get on my, my, my moral high horse and say, oh, you can't have that kind of entertainment. That's terrible. It's like, well, that's how I've been entertained a couple times in my life. Like, hate to say it. It's true. I go to Vegas all the time, guys. You guys know it. Was there for my bachelor party. Not going to lie. Um, some, some adult entertainment. There was some acrobatic dancing. Let me just put it to you like that. It happens. I've helped put some young ladies through college. Listen, it, it is what it is, right? I work hard for my money. I deserve to spend it how I want. So this isn't a moral high ground thing. This is where my issue comes in. There's a couple issues. My issue isn't with the actual strippers. My issue is with this. Is Kansas basically, again, and I've said this so many times, they've admitted to breaking rules. They told the NCAA, yes, Silvio D'Souza got money to come here. Now, they claim they didn't have anything to do with it, but rules were broken. And now you're going to give two middle fingers up to the NCAA? Like, to me, that's my issue with it. Not the strippers, not with Snoop Dogg, not with the acrobatic dancers. God bless those acrobatic dancers. It's with this concept that it's somehow funny to, to stick two middle fingers up in the face of the NCAA. And I'll tell you why it's not funny. Like, this is the analogy I use all the time. There's a lot of NCAA rules that are stupid. Maybe you think players should get paid. It's been a, a hot enough button issue over the last week. But rules are rules. And if you break rules, you have to take your medicine and get punished for them. I always use this analogy. You may think NCAA rules are stupid. You may also think that having a speed limit of 55 miles on, on the freeway is stupid. But if a police officer pulls you over and you were going 57, it doesn't matter how stupid you think the rules are. You still broke the law and you're still going to get a ticket. And I can't speak for you guys. I'll let Sarah speak, Sarah Thomas, who's in Atlanta traffic. I'll let Jay Strunk, who listens in his car. If you guys get pulled over listening to this show, I'm guessing what you're not going to do. This is just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm different. I'm guessing what you're not going to do is tell the police officer, F off and give two middle fingers. And that's basically what Kansas is doing. And so, like, I don't think it's funny because I don't think it's funny to not only break rules, but then thumb your nose at the establishment. And I'll tell you why it's not funny. Because not everybody's cheating. And this was the point I made on Twitter the other day. Everyone got, oh, Torres is an old man. It's like, no. There are guys that are literally losing their job 
because they can't get the recruits that Kansas gets because they're not willing to break the rules to, to get those kids. You think that coach that was in the Big 12 that maybe made the tournament two out of five years, but in year six when he wasn't paying players, he lost his job? Like, you think that guy thinks this is funny? You think that guy who was making $2 million a year, who had to go back to making a, a couple hundred K, his kids were in private school, his kids had friends in their school, now he's got to move and be an assistant coach somewhere because he got fired? Like, you think that guy thinks it's funny? You think it's funny that his kids had to pick up and leave the school that they loved, that his wife had to pick up and leave the town that they loved because he refused to cheat to get players? Because I don't think it's funny. And since Bill Self is so, like, it's so ha-ha-ha, LOL, I'll tell a little story, too, that's a little LOL. And I've told this story on the podcast before, but I'll tell it again. 2018 Final Four. I was there. It was in San Antonio. Great Final Four. That was the year that Villanova beat Michigan in the championship game. Villanova beat Kansas in the national semifinal. They actually killed them. And I, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. Since Bill, Self, since Bill Self thinks this is so funny, since Kansas thinks this is so funny, I'll tell you how people in basketball really feel about Bill Self. I was walking around San Antonio those nights, the night before the game, I was talking to some coaches, and they said, man, I hope Villanova kicks the crap out of, out of Kansas tomorrow. And I kind of was like, oh, like, are you, like, you boys with Jay Wright? Or, like, what's the deal? They're like, no, man, come on. But Kansas can't be rewarded for this stuff. And the implication was, like, Kansas is cheating, man. And Villanova, we think Villanova's doing it right. And you can't, Kansas can't be rewarded for paying all these guys, for paying players when everybody else is trying to do it right, everybody else is trying to do it honest, and they're losing their jobs. So I'll tell you, you guys may think it's funny, but I'm telling you right now, people in basketball don't think it's funny. And I would add one other thing too, and I said this on my Periscope the other day. You know why I definitely don't think it's funny? Because there are people that are literally in jail over this FBI probe with the NCAA. Book Richardson, former Arizona assistant, is sitting in a jail right now in New York. He actually gets out later, I think this month. I think it's like the end of this month, whatever. Jim Gatto, the Adidas exec who gave Bill Self money, who Bill Self helped get convicted because Bill Self kind of in Kansas tried to you know, pretend to be a victim and they basically put themselves against Adidas, that dude's going to jail. That dude's life is ruined. That dude's career is ruined. That dude's kids now have to go to school and people look at, his, look at their kids and say, your dad's going to jail. You think it's funny for the kids? You think the kids are laughing about the strippers and the money? You think the wife of Jim Gatto, you think the wife of Book Richardson is laughing about that? Christian Dawkins just got sentenced to a year in jail. You think Christian Dawkins' parents, Christian Dawkins' parents, for people who don't know, three boys, one of them died when he was 13 years old. Second one now is going to jail. You think Christian Dawkins' parents think that that was funny from Bill Self? Oh, we're going to have some strippers. We're going to shoot off some money guns. You think that was funny? You think, they, you think they're laughing about it? Because I don't think they're laughing about it. And so to me, I get it. I get it's like it's kind of sort of like, okay, like, yeah, you're thumbing your nose at the NCAA. But, bro, this, like, this ain't the time of the place, man. Like, one, you break your rules. You, like, like, you broke the rules. Okay. You, gotta, uh, you got your guys. You're winning games. You're getting your paychecks, but keep your mouth shut, take your medicine, and it ain't freaking funny. And that's the part that pisses me off. And that's the part that pissed me off, by the way, about the media, too. Media, oh, it's so funny. Screw the NCA. Yo, screw you, dude. Seriously, screw freaking you, bro. 
There's people going to jail right now, and you think this crap's funny. And I, by the way, I will say this too. I will give credit too, because I've been the only one saying anything about Kansas. And I think this weekend was the tipping point where people were like, Bill Self, man, you went too far, dude. That shit ain't funny, man. It's not funny. I saw Fran Fraschilla come out against him. I saw um, Seth Greenberg come out against him. I saw Jimmy Dykes come out against him. And oh, by the way, Pat Forty, Yahoo, they've been trying to bury Sean Miller. They've been trying to bury Will Wade. And they really haven't said much about Bill Self. That was the one that crossed the line. Even Yahoo was like, dude, enough, bro. Cut it out. Not cool. So I give the uh, the, the, the real media credit for for saying what's right and doing what's right. Because I just, listen, I'm not trying to be an old man. But when there are people in jail, when there are kids that now have to look their dad in the eye through a prison wall, like, I don't think that's funny. So that's my opinion. You guys listen for my opinion. I'm sorry to go a little dark to end the show or to end my segment of the show. I don't think it's funny, though. One quick thing, Eric Musselman coming up. Uh, We did get a question about um, waivers, so NCA waivers. So when a kid transfers, they uh, get waivers, right? And you can put in a waiver to try and uh, to try and get eligible. So obviously, as we all know, um, you know, you transfer, you have to sit out a year, right? Unless you're a grad transfer. And there is a waiver process where the school can basically appeal to the NCA, and under extenuating circumstances, you cannot have to sit out a year. And so we've seen a lot of those. So anyway, so Austin wrote in because he's asking about Arkansas. And because I have Eric Musselman on, I will talk about Coach uh, Musk. He says, question, where do you think – let me start over. Man, I'm having trouble reading today. Austin said, my question is, where do you think the SEC fits within the power rankings of conferences of college basketball? Also, how do you think the first year of Coach Musk goes at Arkansas? Also, what takes the NCAA so long in deciding if they should grant a waiver to allow a transfer to play right away? It seems like we've been in limbo with Connor Vanover forever, and I know he isn't the only case like this either. Thanks for taking my questions, Austin. So, okay, so I'll answer the first two really, really, really quick. The SEC, I think you can make the case. Listen, let me backtrack. ESPN is going to do what ESPN does, which is just completely gas up the ACC and completely gas up the Big 12 because those are their two properties that they make the most money off of in basketball, right? ACC is Duke and Carolina. and I'm telling you right now, the ACC really isn't that good this year. They got a top five. Louisville's really good. Duke, North Carolina, Virginia are always good, but they lose a ton of guys. And I think NC State's pretty good. And then after that, you start looking around. Virginia Tech, Buzz Williams, he's gone. So how good are they going to be? Um, Wake Forest is going to be terrible. Pitt's going to be terrible. Georgia Tech is ineligible for the NCAA tournament. Boston College is going to be terrible. Syracuse basically lost everybody off last year's team. Um, I think I said Wake Forest, but they're going to be terrible. And so I bring that up because the the college uh, ESPN is going to try to gas up the ACC. I don't think they're very good. The Big 12, it's the same. I just crushed Bill Self. Kansas on the court itself will be really, really, really good. Texas Tech, I think, is going to be pretty good. And I think Baylor is going to be pretty good. And then after that, Kansas was a tournament team last year. They literally lost three of the best players in program history. They're going to take a step back. Oklahoma is going to take a step back. Uh, Oklahoma State could be pretty good. But the Big 12 is going to be overrated. AC is going to be overrated. I say it because to say this. I think the two best teams, the two best conferences top to bottom, I think the Big East is one. The Big East has, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, 
I think there are 10 teams in the Big East. I think nine are legitimately good enough to make the tournament. Now, all nine are not going to make them. But even DePaul has players this year. Even St. John's made the tournament last year as a first four. They fired Chris Mullen. They still got like three starters coming back off that team. And so I think the Big East is the deepest. Basically, every team has guys coming back. Creighton's going to be good. Georgetown's going to be good. Villanova's going to be good. Seton Hall's going to be good. Marquette's going to be good. And then I think the SEC is right behind there. I think the SEC, to me, there's a top three, which is Kentucky, Florida, and LSU. And then after that, I think there's a lot of really good teams that can beat anybody else on any given night. I think Tennessee with Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden coming back is going to be really good. I think um, Alabama, Nate Oates' first year, I think they're going to be really good. John Petty and Kyra Lewis. Auburn returns a lot of interesting pieces. Mississippi State returns a lot of interesting pieces. Ole Miss returns a lot of interesting pieces. I got my buddies at A&M telling me that A&M, they think, is going to be pretty good. But I bring that up because, let's get to Arkansas. I'm going to have Coach Musselman on in a second. But to answer your question, I think the SEC is the second best conference, top to bottom in the country, behind the Big East. And I also think that Arkansas is going to be a fringe NCAA tournament team. And I'll tell you why. People forget that last year, Arkansas right up until the very end of the season, was a bubble NCAA tournament team. They finished 18-16, and 8-10 and 10 in the SEC. But right up until like the last week of the season, people were talking about them as being on the bubble. They lose Daniel Gafford off last year's team, but they basically bring back everybody else. Isaiah Joe's back. Mason jo- Jones is back. A lot of those guys are back. And so I think they're going to be on the bubble. The question is, I think the, the SEC is tougher this year. And I don't know if they can get enough wins and get over enough teams, but I think they're going to be in the bubble conversation. I think they might even get in. I think they might be like a first four kind of team, maybe win a game. It's not because of Coach Muss. It's be, well, I think a lot of it's because of Coach Muss, but it's not because I have a good relationship with Coach Muss. It's not because he comes on the show. It's because last year they were on the bubble and they almost broke through. So to answer your question, I think the SEC is second best team. I think Arkansas is a bubble team. Really quick on the transfer waiver stuff. So my understanding is there's a number of ways to get your waiver approved, but you have to have proof of it, right? So, so sometimes like, like a kid just transfers, the other school is happy to oblige, right? So like Tate Martell, the quarterback who transferred from Ohio State this year, Ryan Day literally wrote a letter to the NCAA like, let the kid play. There's no reason he has to sit out, whatever. So you have those circumstances. You have the circumstances where the kid really is going home because of a family issue. They want to get closer to home, etc. So like the kid, Charlie Moore, who was at Kansas last year, he just got eligible at DePaul. He's been trying to prove, I think he's got a sick family member, whatever. And then there's kind of those gray areas. But, but, but to backtrack with Charlie Moore, you have to be able to prove it, right? You can't just say, oh yeah, grandma's sick. I want to be close to home. Um, <laughs> there was a kid, I can't remember who it was. But he tried to claim that he was trying to get closer to home to be with a sick family member. And he actually, wherever he ended up, he went further away from home than he was. And the NCAA was like, no, we're not going to grant you eligibility. And then there's other extenuating circumstances. I'm not going to say the player's name. But there's a prominent college basketball player this year that um, that uh, he was at a school. He missed a season because of injury. He transferred, and he's trying to get eligible right now. And basically his argument is like, 
I was misdiagnosed. Like I missed a whole year because the the um, the staff there screwed me up and they didn't give me the right diagnosis and it led to a more complicated surgery. It led to a more complicated rehab, whatever. So to answer your question, there's a lot of different reasons. And with the Connor Vanover deal, I really have no deal, no idea. I think it'll be fascinating to see Connor Vanover. For people who don't know, is an Arkansas transfer. He's sitting out this year, seven foot three, big kid. He's just about the only size that Arkansas has. He would be a nice X factor, but I also think you got to remember college basketball, you don't need a ton of size. I think it might actually work out well to not have, uh, to, I actually think it might work out well if you don't have them because I think you're going to be able to space the floor. I think you're going to be able to shoot. I think you're going to be able to do this, do that. All right. I hope that helped. That's all for the Inner Sports Podcast for me because I am freaking exhausted. Completely out of breath, tired. It's late. Uh, time to get to bed and get the week going. But before we get finished up, I want to thank you guys for listening as always. And if you're not, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, all the great outlets. Also, make sure to rate and review the show like Sarah Thomas did, like Jay Strunk did. Uh, make sure to rate and review the show. It really does help. Helps us move up the iTunes charts. Questions. If you have questions like Austin just did, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. I will answer them on next episode. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Also, the Instagram page, college football picks go up there, previews of the show go up there. Aaron Torres, uh, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast is the Instagram page. That is all. I am exhausted. Now, Eric Musselman, head coach of the University of Arkansas, is up. Thank you guys again for listening. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig, the Australian legend. Also, shout out to my boy Richard Sherman. Now, here's Coach Eric Musselman. All right, and joining me on the phone now, a longtime friend of the show. He has been on multiple times over the last couple of years. The head coach of the University of Arkansas, Eric Musselman. Coach Muss, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me on again. Well, I always appreciate you coming on. I always appreciate you coming on. And I was thinking back as I was preparing for today's interview. You know, last time you and I spoke, uh, you had just gotten to Arkansas, maybe been there a month, six weeks, whatever. You were kicking your feet up. You were hanging out at baseball games. You were having a good time. Uh, I, I know you enjoyed kind of the the period of getting to Fayetteville and all that stuff, but how excited are you now that, like, practice is here? You and I were just talking before uh, before we started recording. Like, we're up to 20 hours. It is the season. The season is upon us. How excited are you to get rolling here? Well, I think everybody's excited. You know, it's, it, it's so interesting. I love uh, reading every time, you know, before an NBA season starts, uh, how everybody is excited and, and, and thinks they have a good team, and everybody in the NFL for a season thinks they have a great team and they're excited. Um, as you get older, I mean, you, you know, you, you you feel and see the same thing at the start of every season. But you know, I think the biggest thing uh, for us, and it was something we talked about all the time in Nevada, was just how do we get better as the season progresses? Um, because for for us being new. Uh, our system's new to the players. We're, we're new as coaching staffs with the players. So uh, both player and coach are trying to try to figure out what's the best system, what's the best style of play, uh, who's our go-to guy at the end of games, uh, what are our decoys at uh, the end of games. So all these things we're trying to implement 
but just simple things like our core defensive philosophies. Um, obviously, we spent all summer, but in a short four-hour window per week. And um, so you try and get all this stuff in. And then the bottom line is because it is kind of a long grind between the entire summer and then September and October, and you don't get to play a game until, until November, Aaron, I think the biggest key is how do you keep the guys fresh mentally, physically, and then when they walk through your practice facility door, uh, how are those guys, what's their excitement level uh, to come to work, so to speak, uh, for your two-hour practices once you're into that 20-hour window? And, well, it's kind of a dumb question, but I mean, you've been doing this at the college level now for a while. Obviously, your experience, everybody knows at the NBA level, at the professional level. Um, how, how do you do it? I mean, what have you and your staff through the last couple years and certainly the last couple months, like what kind of stuff are you guys doing behind the scenes to keep it fresh, to make it, to make sure that it's not monotonous? Because like you said, it's a long grind from when the previous season ends, even in the case like you, when you get there in April or May, uh, between then and the start of actual games in November. I think the biggest thing, you know, is one, we're, we're trying to get to know each other. And, and it's even if you weren't a new staff with, you know, some new players, you know, in today's world, uh, you know, guys have headphones on even, even pregame when they're shooting. And when you get on a team bus or an airplane, guys have ear pods in. And there's not a lot of communication. So one of the things we've really tried to do uh, is – Find out about our guys. Have them get up in front of the team. Uh, this week, it's superhero week. So uh, we privately asked each player who his favorite superhero is. Uh, then we had our grad assistant take that superhero, superimpose the player's face with the body of the superhero, put it up on a screen, and then they have to get up in front of the team and they have to talk about that superhero and why. Uh, that was someone that they looked up to or connected with or identified with. And so that's what we're doing this week. But, you know, it's so interesting when I go back in time and think about some of the coaching uh, idols that I've had or people that I've looked up to, people like Pat Riley. You hear about some of the stuff that he did in the middle of his film sessions to kind of jolt the team or uh, Phil Jackson uh, pulling movie clips and putting movie scenes into his into his video splices. And um, right now, there's been some great articles about the Green Bay Packers, new coach, Coach LaFleur, what he's been doing uh, with his team by uh, having trivia questions or spelling bees, those type of exercises with his team, um, implementing the basketball uh, court in the middle of uh, a hoop, in the middle of their team meetings um, to try to form a culture of competition. So, I just think the you know the big thing is you got to have fun, but you got to have a serious mindedness about yourself, um, and, and you really want your team. Like I said, the biggest thing, Aaron, is how do they have an excitement uh, to come in and practice every day? It's really interesting. I remember many years ago I did a big story when I was at FoxSports.com on the. Miami Hurricanes of the early 2000s when they had Ed Reed and Andre Johnson and Jeremy Shockey and all those guys. And what they used to do uh, during the summer, during strength and conditioning, they would break off and play three-on-three basketball just to get the competitive juices flowing, like something different, not doing football drills, all that stuff. So sounds like it's, you know, you guys are doing a lot of the same stuff. You know, it's interesting because I read uh, a great article. My buddy Jeff Borzello was down with you guys, 
And it really kind of opens by you kind of always trying to learn more about the coaching uh, world, philosophy, people. Who are some guys? I mean, you mentioned Pat Riley, Phil Jackson. I mean, I would assume any basketball coach would look up to those guys. But whether it's guys you've worked with, whether it's guys you've never met, uh, who are some guys that you kind of, uh, you know, you kind of are trying to pick the brains of? Because, like I said, reading that article, it was just interesting to see, uh, you know, all the different places that you're getting information from. You know, Aaron, interestingly enough, you know, because my dad was was in the coaching profession, you know, I feel, number one, I got to watch him conduct himself on a daily basis um, and coach his team, and I would go to practices. When I was a youngster, my mom would drop me off at the University of Minnesota, and I would go to practice, and then when practice ended, I'd go up in his office with him. He'd stay in his office till 9 o'clock at night watching film, and then he and I would go home. I'd go back to school the next day, and it would start all over again. Mm-hmm. And then you're exposed to going on road trips with teens as well when you're growing up and your dad's coaching. And, and then I was a ball boy for the San Diego Clippers. But, uh, to be inside a locker room uh, when you're the ju- a junior high level, you know, away from your dad. You know, my dad wasn't coaching at that particular time, so... Um, it's a different, you know, dynamics when your dad's hanging around and then when you're actually working. Uh, and it's so interesting, the guys that the opposing players, because I was assigned to the opposing locker room, it was interesting. The guys that were rude, the guys that were cool, the guys that tipped. Um, and usually the great players were the guys that were the, that were the best people to be around. Um, but I look back and I think what, one of the most impressionable moments of my life uh, I was in sixth grade. And my dad had a with Paul Brown, oh. um, you know, the, 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 the head NFL coach of the Cleveland Browns and then later the Cincinnati Bengals. And he talked to my dad about the importance of team meetings and especially the very first time you stand up in front of your team uh, and how that's going to impact, um, the, you know, your whole season, the tone that you set. And some of the people that my dad, you know, my dad was very good friends with Billy Martin. Uh, the mm-hmm. former New York Yankee or the old New York Yankee Oakland A's manager. Um, and we would travel around oftentimes and watch the Yankees play. And, and my dad would have dinner with Billy Martin, and I would tag along with him because my dad had coached Dave Winfield. Um, right. And Dave was obviously a, a, a Yankee at one point. And, um, so when you're around to Paul Brown and you're exposed to – to, to, to Billy Martin, and then when my dad was in the NBA and I was coaching in the NBA as assistant coach, Aaron, uh, during the lockout season, my dad and I went around and traveled to different colleges and watched practices together because during the lockout uh, with the NBA, you couldn't do anything with your own players. And so uh, we spent a, a week with Bobby Knight at Indiana because my father and Bobby Knight had grown up uh, 12 miles apart, oh, Orville, wow. Ohio, and Worcester, Ohio. Um, so I, at a at a really young age, I, I had these doors open to be around a Bobby Knight, a Billy Martin, um, you know, a, a Paul Brown, uh, and then throughout college, uh, my dad made me work in the summer, even though I was on a basketball scholarship, and I worked for the San Diego Padres, and uh, you know, was exposed to so many different things um, in the MLB that that you know I hadn't been exposed to in the basketball world, so. Uh, those are some of the things that opened up my thought process on how much you could learn from other programs or other sports. Probably the most interesting thing that, or one of the most interesting things that happened is when I was 
fired by the Golden State Warriors, and Michael Lombardi was was uh, in management with the Oakland Raiders, and he called and asked if I wanted to come to the Raiders' office and utilize their offices to stay attached to the to, to my world and to be able to watch basketball film in the Raiders' office and actually have an office rather than doing it at home. Uh, because Mike Lombardi had empathy for coaches that had been fired and uh, took him up on the offer. We wow. developed a great friendship. And a lot of the things that we do game prep-wise are things that I stole from what the Raiders were doing at their red zone coverage and how they did walkthroughs and so forth. So a lot of interesting things that, that you can learn from different sports. Well, and I was going to say, too, when, when we talked earlier about kind of the grind of the season, and look, basketball's fun. I don't know if grind is the right word, but – um, you know, you mentioned it's it's six or eight weeks between the start of practice and the, the, the first game and, and guys get antsy and all that stuff. I was thinking about the baseball parallel there. Anybody who's worked in baseball and I've worked in baseball, it's 162 games. I, I You know, I give the managers a ton of credit because you got to keep everybody on an even playing field. I honestly, and I'm a guy that's in the media, I don't know how media covers baseball 162 games because there's not 162 things to talk about every single game. And I don't know how managers talk about that stuff. But like I would assume that being around ba- – like baseball to me would be kind of a parallel to what you were just saying a minute ago about kind of, like I said, level playing, level mind, all that stuff over the course of what's a long season. No question. Phil Nevin's a really good friend. Um, actually, Phil Nevin and – and uh, you know Kevin Towers, who was a, who was a good friend. Kevin was was obviously the general manager of the San Diego Padres for for many years. And Kevin, has, you know, recently passed away. But Kevin and, and Phil Nevin actually came up um, when the Warriors were playing a game in L.A. They drove up while they were negotiating one of one of one of Phil's contracts. Uh, while he was with the Padres, and, and and those two guys came and watched our pregame meeting and preparation meeting prior to our our game against uh i can't remember if we were playing the lakers or the clippers that night uh, in la and and then the team went out to warm up at about the 18 minute mark and i was sitting back there with phil nevin and and Kevin towers and and they were kind of blown away it was the first time they had ever been in a basketball preparation meeting um, and obviously in baseball because of what you just mentioned the number of games there's a lot of times where it's just pitchers, catchers, um, you know, doing their thing, and 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 really only prior to the first game in the series do they really have a lot of meetings uh, with with the positional players, and so it's it's pretty interesting the the, the different levels of, of preparation, and again because of the number of games, and I, I'll tell you one thing, Aaron, that that I talk about. Uh, every year prior to us playing a game, I always talk about, and it's right around this time, I talk about how can you play 162 baseball games, uh, three-game series or four-game series or doubleheaders, there's rainouts, there's obviously injuries with every team, and how is the last Sunday of every Major League Baseball team if somebody playing that either did in the playoffs mm-hmm. or is going to be knocked out? And it's that way every single year, and it's and, and the theme of the whole speech is the importance of every single game, yeah. even in a 162 game season, every single game matters because again, playoff position even on the last day of the season is always in play, 
And so, you know, there's so many lessons you can learn, even from, again, a 162-game season compared to a 30-game season, or if you look at college football, 12-game season or whatever. That's so fascinating. Uh, In another direction, you know, one thing that you and I have talked about in the past, I mentioned the relationship you had with with your dad. Um, You are obviously, uh, you've become known as this incredible uh, you know, kind of social media guy and promoter, and I want to get into all of the pictures that are circulating around the internet in a second, but a lot of that comes from your dad, right? You and I have talked about it on this show, but maybe for a new Arkansas fan that isn't as familiar with you, your dad was many years ago kind of at the forefront of kind of turning uh, a sporting event into kind of an entertainment aspect as well, right? Yeah, there's no question of, you know, if, if, if so... You know, when I was really, really young, he was coaching at Ashland College, um, and he came up with a pregame warm-up that if, if you search online, you can you can kind of find it, but it was a Harlem Globetrotter-esque uh, pregame warm-up that they did. It took about seven minutes to do this warm-up, and, and he had a guy on scholarship that uh, could ride a unicycle. <laughs> right. He had a guy on scholarship that was a juggler, um, and... That Ashland College was sold out every night, standing room only. He parlayed uh, that into the University of Minnesota. He brought pregame warm-up there. Uh, they, you know, they won a Big Ten championship, first time in 53 years that the University of Minnesota had done that. They Not only did they sell out Williams Arena, but the hockey arena next door would also be sold out. The game would be on closed-circuit TV, uh, streamlined through the hockey uh, facility. So... He was huge in promotion, Aaron. I mean, uh, we would go, you know, to a McDonald's for lunch, and I'd go in and order, and he'd come in with a box, and the box would be full of University of Minnesota Golden Gopher basketball T-shirts, and he would pass them out to everybody in the McDonald's. And I'd be so embarrassed. I'd get back in the car. He would say, hey, look, every single person that puts that T-shirt on is now a walking billboard for our basketball program. And so I was you know, exposed to all these creative um, things. He was way, way, way ahead of his time um, from a promotion standpoint. Everywhere he went, um, even in the old CBA in, in, in Albany, everywhere he went, his, his the, the, the crowds were standing room only, sold out. And it's because he felt like it was an entertainment, not just basketball. And uh, You know, so I learned a lot, tried to try to take all that. And the, the funniest thing about all this, Aaron, is, you know, my dad from afar was always thought of as really old school, overly disciplined. Uh, but yet, if you really dive into it, you sit there and say, wow, he had a pregame warm-up where guys were riding unicycles and juggling basketballs, but yet his teams played with incredible, incredible discipline. Uh, and their execution level was through the through the roof, but yet there was all these fun things that were going on as well. And, um, you know, obviously since I've gotten into college, you know, I've jumped on the social media thing to, to try to help us with recruiting. Um, it was funny videos, you know, at Nevada. Now they turned into things with recruits now, pictures of, of reincarnating NBA scenes and so, 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 so on. Uh, but, but before the college, I was kind of, you know, same thing as my dad. I think the perception um, was X and O's, disciplined, hard nose, no nonsense. Well, now there's a lot of young coaches, and they 
they, they don't have that perception at all. They think that, you know, this guy's always doing, you know, off the wall stuff on social media. And so the, the, the perception with younger generation or younger people has completely flipped That's from the funny. opposite of what it was five or six years ago. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of amusing, uh, you know, to me how you could have, you know, different perceptions of, of things. And then reality is probably somewhere in the middle. Well, I was going to say too, I feel like, you know, um, listen, every kid goes on a bunch of unofficials, a bunch of officials, um, yeah, they see the academic center, they see the basketball facility that we talk about how we're going to get you prepared for the NBA, all that stuff. But like one, it, doing a, a, a reenactment of a LeBron James, Dwayne Wade dunk, like one, that's going to make Arkansas and Coach Musselman stand out. But then two, I also just feel like it, it shows the players another side of you. Now, when they get to campus, you know, it's a totally different ball game. And I've heard that, um, you know, about a lot of coaches, but um, I would assume that that those two things are really big elements, and I know you're, you know, these pictures have just been posted, and none of these kids are on campus yet. But I would assume, I, I guess I'm I'm kind of talking it out on air here, but I would think that you have gotten a lot of positive feedback, and I would think that while we want every kid to remember the academic center and and the meeting with the business dean and all that stuff. There are probably a lot of kids that are coming out of these these recruiting visits talking about, yeah, I posed with Coach Muss, you know, reenacting LeBron and D Wade or something like that. There's no question. I mean, it, it's separation. You know, and 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 the great thing is, whoever does something like that is 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 going to be a copycat. Yeah. You know, we 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 started it, and it's so interesting, really, Aaron, because I'll get a text almost daily from someone we're recruiting. Uh-huh. That'll that'll send me a picture of an NBA thing and say, "Hey, <laughs> if and when I come on campus, can we do this?" And the craziest thing happened: our last home football game, not once but twice, a student, mm-hmm. whether it was me walking the concourse or sitting in my seat, somebody came up to different people and said, "Hey, can we read? Can we do this scene right now?" I'm like, "No, there's sixty thousand people." In- Paul Stadium, you know, we can't do it right now. And so students on campus have brought it up. Um, there's been recruits on campus where I've kind of said, hey, what do you think about this scene? And they'll pull out their phone and say, oh, no, 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 I already thought about this. I talked it over with my buddies. Okay. We want to do this one. And, and uh, you know, it's not just stop on the recruiting uh, visit. You get, like we talked about um, earlier, you, you get, your, your team's got to have fun. Yeah. Um, and yes, you want to be disciplined. Yes, you want to maximize your talent as a player. Uh, you got to prepare them for life. Uh, all those things come into play. But 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 in order to get your team to really play hard, there's got to be a lot of love. There's got to be a lot of fun. There's got to be a lot of excitement. Or teams aren't going to play hard. They quit on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the plain truth. Uh, whether it's a sixth grade CYO team and they're playing a 12-game season on game 10 and 11 and 12, if they're not energized and excited about their teammates and the coach they have, they're not going to play hard. And it's the same thing in Little League Baseball, and it's certainly the same thing at the NBA level or at the college level, is you've got to treat people the right way. they got to like coming to work. And if that's the case, then you should get a team to be able to play with maximum effort and energy. 
Very good. Uh, I could talk to you about this stuff all day, uh, but I, I know you're a busy man, and we'll wrap on this. I mean, there's obviously a lot of Arkansas fans. Uh, I know you did your media availability a few days ago kind of with the local media, but I'm sure there are Arkansas fans here listening just trying to get an actual scouting report for the team that's going to be on the floor in early November. Uh, it's early, but it kind of what we were talking about earlier, it really isn't that early relative to the fact that you've been working with these guys in some form or fashion all summer long. Um, you know, just looking over your roster, the way that I kind of see things from the outside, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that it feels like a little bit of a, a smaller team, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in this kind of modern era of basketball. Not a ton of size, but it seems like there's a lot of shooting, a lot of guys uh, that can score in a lot of different ways. I mean, how do you evaluate your guys as we get set here now? We're like a month from the start of the season. Well, Aaron, you know, I think number one is, you know, we have two point guards that got experience that have both played a lot of minutes. Obviously, Jalen Harris as a starter um, played a ton of minutes last year. And Jimmy Witt played a lot of minutes um, at SMU. So we do have experience at that, at, at, at that point guard position. And then Isaiah Joe is one of the best shooters uh, with incredible three-point range at the off-guard. And Desi Sills. Uh, started towards the end of the season last year, and, and Desi had a good uh, freshman season. And then Mason Jones, when, when we look at our, our small, small forward spot, uh, Mason uh, averaged right around 13 points a game. Him and Isaiah Joe were both double-digit scorers right at 13 between the two of them. Um, and so those two guys from the wing to spots can, can really shoot the ball uh, Mason, we need to continue to work on his consistency on a daily basis, and then, and then we get to our four or five spot, um, and and we we had a grad transfer uh, in Silla who can play the three and the four, and Adriel Bailey has played a lot of four three, and this year he's going to have to play a lot of four or five for us, and um, and then Ethan Henderson is a guy that um, is going to have to be a, a great rim runner and, and a guy that provides energy for us and. Uh, Reggie Shaney is a you know strong uh, player who's a, probably a natural four who's going to have to play some five. So uh, we have a lot of pieces, but we're going to have to kind of interchange at the four or five spot when we go small and play really small ball. We'll probably play Mason Jones at a little bit of that spot. And it'll be interesting, Aaron, because some, some of the things that you have to make decisions during the course of the game, fans can't understand is – Let's say we're getting out rebounded and we're playing with what for us is a is is a bigger lineup, but we're getting out rebounded, and then we might have to go smaller. And the thought process is, as a coach, is hey, we're already getting out rebounded uh, with our bigger lineup, so now let's put some pressure on the defense and try to create a little bit more offense uh, if the rebounding is already a problem. And so those are some of the dilemmas and some of the scenarios. Uh, that we are trying to walk through as a staff from a mental standpoint. And we're trying to put ourselves right now, uh, right around this first week of October, what situations could we be in during the course of the game? And then what would our rotations look like to try to counter that particular huh. situation? And a lot of people do that mental exercise once uh, they get into conference play. After they've had, you know, some non-conference games, and, if you, and you've got 10, 11, 12 games into your season, we want to try to be proactive and go through those exercises mentally as a staff prior to our first game. 
Unbelievable stuff. Uh, Coach Muss, Eric Musselman, head coach, University of Arkansas. Uh, You know, I love doing this, man. And, you know, uh, I genuinely always appreciate every time you make some time, especially now that the season's underway, now that practices are underway. I know how busy things are. So I I say it every time, but I sincerely mean it, Coach. I genuinely appreciate the time. And uh, I know we'll catch up sometime down the road. But until then, best of luck to the Hogs. Well, the, the reason I like doing this, Aaron, with you, uh, number one, when I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Wow, so, thank you. Um, I, I owe you, you don't owe me, because you entertain me many mornings uh, with your podcast. And then the other thing is, let's face it, uh, you, you have some legendary status in this state. So uh, <laughs> I and, do. And, and, and some hard fans want you to come watch a home game, so I'm going to continue to stay on you. Until we get you here in Northwest Arkansas and get you in Fayetteville. That's our goal this year. All I'll say is there have been some private texts uh, back and forth between myself and, and at least one media member in Arkansas. We got to find a sponsor. I don't know if uh, Sam Walton listens to this show or you know whoever's running that Walmart chain or whatever, but whoever it is, uh, you know, and by the way, any Arkansas business owners want to get involved, uh, get a sponsor to get me down to Fayetteville. Trust me, I've already looked at the schedule. I already have a couple circled, uh, but we're gonna try. We're gonna try to make it happen. I, I, you know, I try not to make any promises I can't keep, uh, but we're gonna try really hard here. <laughs> Sounds good, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me on. Hi, this is Dr. Joy. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more connected community. Neighbor to neighbor. It takes a neighborhood. Hi, this is Will Friedle. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more connected community. Neighbor to Neighbor. It takes a neighborhood.